Hey everyone, I'm Cody. And I'm Brent. And we are the Huguenots, here to review the best science fiction books of all time, or Hugo Award winners. Today, we're going to start with number one, which is Dune by Frank Herbert. You know it, you may like it. Yeah, quick interjection. Number one, because it was the first book to win the Hugo, not because it is the best. We're going to talk about that. So correct, Dune correct. Is, yes. <laughs> yeah. So Dune is about... Um, these two feuding families in the, the it's a space opera set in the far future and individual families control entire planets. And so the Atreides are good guys, uh, have been assigned control over Arrakis, uh, this desert planet that produces spice, the most important thing in the galaxy. It's a drug makes it feel great, but it also lets you pilot starships. So it's super important. And it's been taken away from the Harkonnens our bad guys. They want it back. And over the first half of the novel, we kind of set up that conflict. And then the second half is this whole, giant war between them, particularly Paul Atreides, the, the son of the Atreides family, who's really our hero, and Baron Harkonnen, the huge bloated mastermind of the Harkonnen family, and the two of them and all their minions sort of fighting it out on this crazy planet over the spice. So that's what we got. If you want to listen to a longer summary of the book, there are plenty online that are like 25 minutes long um, and still barely scratch the surface. It's a long book. It's very dense. So that's the overall idea. So right. on that note, how long is this thing? What are people signing up for here? Uh, well, page number wise, it's been printed so many times that it's kind of hard to go with that. Like there's some editions that are around <laughs> 500 and then there's some that are about 900. Um, and then about 20% of the book is a glossary or an appendix of terms, um, which both you and I, I've read the hard copy once, but... Um, more recently listened to the audiobook, which is 21 hours, which does not have the glossary. You will want uh, Google or Ask Jeeves, whatever search engine you prefer nearby ask for Jeeves, this. For all yeah, the people ask who Jeeves. use Ask Jeeves. Exactly. <laughs> that shows all how old them. we are. <laughs> so uh, you will want something nearby if you do not have the physical appendix of ter- a glossary of terms. So, or have that is, read it that before. is right. So, what. So hit us with your review. We kind of hinted at this before, but what do you think of this book, Cody? So the book is, it's tough because I think we'll get into more of this later, but I, you know, out star wise, I'm saying it's either a three out of five or a five out of five. Um, and that I guess depends on which we'll discuss uh, whether you're viewing it from its inherent self and how good it is as a story in a book and enjoyable which I rate it around a three, maybe even a 2.5, to how influential it's been on the genre of science fiction and fantasy as a whole, um, which is clearly a five. For sure. I like all your rationale there, but I'm a hard, like, judge it on its merits. This is the present day, and people can just read the books that came after, which are better. So I'm going to give this a three out of five. Um, I think the world is incredible, and he really built, like, the first fully fleshed out sci-fi world. Uh but other than that, it's a crappy, crappy book. So let's get into that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, and as you could t- you know, tell from the glossary of terms, that leads us to our next discussion, which is uh, the reason why it's so easy to come back to um, and, and it's so compelling and so many people have been influenced by it is because the world building is just so phenomenal. Yeah, for sure. I love just to, like so many of the names when I reread it, I was like, I remembered them all. I knew what they meant. And I really do think that speaks to like this place that he made, like the Gamjabar, the crazy needle at the beginning that like, 
I don't know, kills you if you fuck up. I don't know. There's plenty of names for that, but I, you still remember the Gom Jamar, right? Like that's yeah. serious. It sounds creepy. It sounds like what it is. You put your hand in the box and then there's the poison needle next to your neck if you flinch at the pain as a yeah. test of humanity, which, you know, that makes sense. And then we've got our, our bad guys, Fade Rautha and and the Baron Harkonnen. Such good names. Obviously villains. You can just tell from hearing the names. Benny Gesserit, the Society of... Um, or the the order of of women who try to breed humanity to perfection through the royal through matches in the royal houses and yeah and, the witches who control the universe the witches who control yeah correct <laughs> um, so yeah so what are the things uh, about this book that were so iconic and like became sci fi tropes yeah I think largely just the it, the universe the the imprint of feudalism upon a galactic empire you have the the emperor and then you have the guild of of spice masters um basically the the pilots guild who uh who controls all all space travel and then you have the the royal houses that are under the emperor um who control various planets and trade routes Etc. Yeah, and that gets used just over and over and over again in science fiction over the years. And I think there's a good reason for that. It's because it's a very good idea. It makes it so you can talk about like galactic geopolitics, but not as this abstract thing as like infighting between families. So I think using the feudal system is a really smart way to like be able to have your big sci-fi world, but also have it be like human to human relatable. And Frank is kind of the first guy to figure that out. So, you know, I, I, I get it's it. It's like a microcosm of galactic um proportion right it's a the, the yeah. family for what it's are, worth i also think it's like a gross oversimplification of the way human society works but it makes for good fiction uh <laughs> it does um it was probably uh you know made more sense when there were a lot fewer people and was yeah, not a good sure. system anyways uh the the other thing that's really fun about this book is stuff that we've seen all the time but is happening for the first time here like uh, arrakis desert planet you know You'll find that Tatooine out again in Star Wars. You'll be told yeah. many times that it's a desert planet, but it's, yeah, it's Tatooine in Star Wars. It's a cool planet um, controlling the water, the hydraulic empire of whoever controls Arrakis um, and the, the royal city is controlling the water supply to leverage power to get spice, to mine spice the resource, which is created by giant sandworms. Yeah, I mean, how can you not love giant sandworms that swallow buildings and, like, come for you in the desert unstoppably? Like, they're, like, 30 meters wide and God knows how many, like, a kilometer long. They're, like, the coolest monster ever. Um, so, And then later, they make tremors. Like, I wonder where they got that idea. Anyway. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, what else did I love? Oh, the way the spice works, I think, is so cool. It's, like... It makes me wonder if Frank Herbert was taking cocaine while he was writing, right? Like Stephen King style. Like it's this like party drug, but also it makes you like super good at like working and steering spaceships and like being a good advisor to the president. It's like anyway, um, it was a good, uh, it was a good, a really good just like piece of lore. So yeah, yeah, you could see how it, like the idea of a narcotic being also helping you see the future and the and other people's pasts and be able to see around space-time curvature when you're navigating and stuff. You could see how that leap was made. 
Yeah, for sure. Also, you can see that like the computer technology was really bad in the 1960s. So Frank Herbert was like, how are we going to navigate interstellar? I guess we'll need drugs for that. And now it's like, oh, the answer is computers will do it. We will not be in charge of that. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> people anyway. have definitely adopted that model going forward. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's just like a really full connected world. Like all the pieces fit together and like the core drama of the book sort of like feels like a natural evolution of this like fully fleshed out world, like in general, people's motivations feel like real and accurate. And I think that that's sort of the definition of a well-built world and kind of the, the creation of, of sort of the genre of space opera. So um, that's all really, the, really fun. And also the, the, the overall tone is so um, serious and prophetic and, and uh, l- the implications are so large within the framework of the story that it, it has this, feel of an epic, you know, it is an epic. For sure. But. So that's a lot of, you know, we love the world, but here's neither the, of us really actually But here's the yeah. thing. <laughs> here's the thing. And, you know, other people I've talked to recently, um, because, you know, the movie's dropping, uh, have agreed with me. And we all feel a little bit like, uh, like scared to say it because it's Dune. You know, it's you're not really allowed to trash talk Dune, but we're gonna do that um, because it's not that good. Every time I revisit it, I'm like, all right, but it yeah, could make Dune. for a great movie. Yeah, let's get into that. I know, it could make for a great it movie really if could. they abandon, if they do not do the following things that Frank Herbert did, <laughs> like telegraph everything that happens 47 times in advance. So he writes. He puts in italics the character's thoughts, which first of all is like clunky and just not good. But the characters also, I mean, I guess like people do, but they keep thinking the same things over and over again. They're thinking about their plans so many times in advance. So by the time anything happens in this book, particularly like the whole setup for this conflict, like that doesn't happen for fully half the book. Like you're 10 hours in before like the Baron Harkonnen unveils his plot. You've already heard him describe the plot to you like 35 times by that time. So it's like, Come on, just get us there. If you're going to tell us it's happening in advance, then it needs to happen like in the next ten pages, not like four hundred pages down the line. Or so. be, or be more like Stephen King is, I think, a master of foreshadowing, where he just like drops drops a little sentence in at the end of a chapter or something, and you're like, wait, what? What'd you just say? And it and it leads you to, you know, you you want the mystery, and then you kind of forget about it as it goes on. But yeah, Frank Herbert's like, here's what's going to happen, but not for a while. But I'll tell you again many times that it's going to before <laughs> it happens. Just you're going to know what's what's happening. Spoiler alert. Um, yep. The the other big one, obviously, um, you know, we, we talk about this. Uh, we're going to talk about this with a lot of these books because old science fiction really does not hold up a lot of times to modern sensibilities. Big one here. Uh, you know, in the isms, uh, big ones here being sexism and homophobia. Um, we have like, yeah, women the, are just, yes, yeah, super traditional gender roles. The, the women are, the women are the, 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 you know, the givers and the, the men take, and they all fit various typical stereotypical gender roles. And the one man ever in the universe who can think like a woman will be like a Messiah that can lead people. And it's like, Frank, like, the women don't have to be in the right. kitchen anymore, and man. The, like, and they're either they're either super giving. The women are either super giving, or they are the Benny Gesserit. They're literal witches, whose <laughs> whose only way to power is by conniving behind the scenes to like breed to force people to breed together to have their genetic way with humanity. 
Um, yeah, and that there's is like the, not a good look. The Fremen, uh, the way that they, you know, they they have these knife fights to the death to decide things in society. One of the things being, um, if they if there's a competition over a woman. Um, no, it's just, it's not even that. It's an afterthought. They knife fight over anything they want. And then one of the things that happens if you right, kill the right. other guy <laughs> is you get to take all his wives. Doesn't even, they're not even fighting over the women. They're like fighting over something else. And, and then it's and like, oh, well, the, as long as you've That's murdered. part of the property that is inherited <laughs> yes. by the victor of the fight. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like the saviors of the universe. The Fremen are like going to save the universe and women are property for them. So that's not great. And then you have Baron Harkonnen who part of him you know, he really likes young men, boys to men, not the band. He, I don't know if he's a fan of boys to men, but um, he likes young boys or adolescent boys, and he's really creepy about it, But which would maybe be okay if, if the villain was, you know... Yeah, but he's it's not gay. the fact that they're he's young gay. boys. It's the fact that he's gay. Yeah, he's the right. only gay guy, and that is bad. Herbert, Herbert like is using his gayness as... A, a way of vilifying him. Yes, which, which is, is not good. Yeah, okay, so moving on from the cringe factor, uh, the dialogue is uh, not pliant, is it, Brent? <laughs> it is no, the opposite. Uh, no one has ever talked the way that these people talk. Um, it is, it's just... I mean, I don't know what to say about it other than it's just it's very, very bad. Anyone who's read Dune would know would would know great <laughs> with us. This is not how people talk. <laughs> right. Um yeah. And then sort of on it's sort of an extension of what we were talking about earlier with telegraphing everything. But the intro to this book, like when I reread it recently, I was like, oh, it's a it's cool. They're fighting on this desert planet with the sandworms. No, that doesn't happen until like 60% of the way through the book. Yeah. The first 60% of it is uh, yeah, I mean. The first sixty percent is the is the telegraphed buildup. Um, the form of this book overall is off, right? Because the first sixty percent is the telegraphed buildup, and that's the best part. Like not only <laughs> not only is it all the buildup, but that's why you know we talk about the world building being so incredible because that's also ends up being the best part because the like the second and third part of the book kind of it just kind of stair steps down in quality. So this is interesting because I actually like the middle the most. Um, and so this is maybe like between the two of us, maybe like if we each liked the stuff the other person likes, maybe we'd get to like four stars or something. Because I actually like the part where he starts hanging out with the Fremen after Baron Harkonnen pulls off his plot and we're starting to learn more about the worms and the way like the ecology of Arrakis works. I think that part's really cool. What we can all agree on is that the end is very, very bad. It's so, Uh, so. (laughs) yeah. Okay, well, we'll have the knife fight to the death later and then decide. But the, um, the, the issue at the end, I felt this kind of the same in the middle. Like the characters change so much from part to part. We leap forward in time a little bit, which makes sense, but they feel like different people and you don't get to see that develop. And then also at the end, there's a lot of introduction of new characters like um, Paul's, yeah, just no Paul's time to develop. Yeah. little sister who just don't have any time to develop and then uh, participate in very major plot points, especially in the climax. And you're just like, wait, that's who does that? I don't even... Who who is this again? Let's look at the glossary. Um, yeah, let's ask that's right. let's ask Jeeves because he knows. Um, and so I do feel like it 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 gets really sped up at the end 
and and you yeah, are sure. you, you have all this world building and all this expectation and then this long middle section and then you're just like and this and this and this and this and this and then it's and then it's over um yeah for sure so the pacing so, doesn't so, feel right yeah so why so there's some things we liked there's some things we didn't you know we didn't um it may be it may feel like a you know the answer is in there but like why why is this a defining book of sci-fi why has everyone read dune right so i think I think I like to compare it to Lord of the Rings um, in that in people I might get, you know, killed for this too. But uh, Lord of the Rings, obviously one of fantasy's greatest epics and a lot of what fantasy is is built on Lord of the Rings. But the characters are pretty flat. They walk a lot. Boo. There's not as Boo. much. <laughs> There's I love Lord of the Rings, and this is trite crap. But okay, I fair enough. You, I see where you're going with this. At least we can agree that both are foundations of their genre, and yes. Dune creeps in a little agree. bit on fantasy, obviously. Um, but I, I feel like it's hard to rate a book that is not good itself, like you talked about the intro, but has been inspirational so fundamentally to everything in science fiction that's come after it. Star Wars, uh, Alien, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it like, really Tremors, whatever you want. Yeah, and I think, it, I think it helped establish this idea of like soft sci-fi, right? That like it didn't have to be, you can like have some like magical stuff happening and it still counts as science fiction, right? Yeah, correct. It's not, it's magical and also like you don't have to describe, it's not about the technology and what, humans, what are the ethical or moral, you know, implications of new technologies on humanity? It's just imposing human morals on a different set of circumstances. This happens to be in the future. You're not worried about how the spaceships work. You're not worried about what, how the cities are built. You're just, yeah. But like what story does that allow you to tell? What does that tell us about what it means to be human? Right. For sure. The human morality in a different setting, which is in the future, um, which has obviously been done so well in, in many other stories since. Um, so that's what gives me, so all of this though is what like gives me hope for this movie and that it might actually be great because Dennis Villanueva is very talented. And if they can take the good parts of Dune, like this setting and this world, drop all the dialogue that Frank Herbert wrote and rewrite new dialogue that uh, actually, you know, builds up some tension um, and captures this like beautiful vision. You know, Blade Runner 2049 was like super cinematic and and actually I think you could honestly just like color Dune just like that. Uh, but anyway, I think it gives me hope that Dune, the movie might be great because the things about Dune that were so good are actually things that translate really well to the big screen. Um, so we'll see, I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah, me too. And and the fact that he that he the fact that um Villanueva gambled and went for just the first half without knowing if they had funding for to do a movie that's the second half of the book is a smart move because it's too ambitious to do the whole thing at once. Yeah, um, it's too and, long. And I think yeah, I think everything visually is what keeps you coming back keeps one coming back to the book. And so you have a, a lot of he has a lot of chance to do good um, and make make a good film out of yeah. out of this book. But I think overall, uh, Dune the book, eh. um, but Dune the idea, the universe, what it's brought to humanity, ten out of ten or five out of five. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're in bookland. Um, that's right. That's right. So all right. So if people loved Dune 
or love the idea of Dune? What else should what else should they be reading? What can we recommend? Yes, this is a segment we're going to do similar books to read. Or if you liked these books, you may like Dune. Maybe not in this case, but uh, maybe we call this books that are better than Dune, but were inspired by Dune. Um, this time. Uh, I think the first one I would suggest is a recent one. It's called The Void Trilogy by Peter F. Hamilton. Uh, very similar science fiction, fantasy blending, and uh, just as a, a very epic feel, um, but it's a, a lot more... Um, it's a lot more complex. It's got a lot more going on with the politics and the ideas, and, and there is a lot more technology in this one. So it's a, a modern-day space opera that that has that scale. For sure. I will go with, for my first one, I'm going to go with uh, The Vorkosigan Saga um, by Lewis McMaster Buhold, which I read recently. Um, and it is, it's a uh, feudal society in space, uh, which is why I think it's sort of like Dune. Um, but it is, the characters are just like so fun and engaging. It's actually pretty different in that way. Uh, but similarly, like technology is not at the core of, of those books. It's not really about technology at all. It's about uh, people and their interactions. And, and frankly, and just it's so fun. They're just fun, great books. And uh, I think the, the best example of like feudalism in space that I can think of. So that's one I highly, highly recommend. You got, you have one more? Um, yeah, I do have one more. The other, the other that I would mention is Ender's Game. I think Ender's Game is like the, the, uh, if, no, if someone has not read any science fiction, I would actually, I wouldn't recommend Dune. I would probably recommend Ender's Game. Um, but I think it has like that similar foundational place in the canon. And, uh, you know, it's also about at the end of the day, like teenagers saving the galaxy. So I think that's a, there's a, a there's a reason like the most popular books of all time didn't follow that trope. Um, I think it's just like, it's like the, the hero arc from like way back in mythology and, uh, Here's Dune has journey. it with Paul Atreides. Harry Potter has it with Harry Potter and, uh, and Ender's game has it with Ender. Um, so I think it just speaks to, to so, so many people. Um, so, so yeah, those are my, those are my two. Yeah. The mono myth is looms large and actually, um, on Goodreads, I mean, the most definitive list we, we can find, but user voted, um, of the top science fiction books, uh, Ender's game number one, do number two. So I think I agree with that, but I still just don't really, I wouldn't really recommend Dune. I'm not sure. Yeah, I see. I see why it's that way. But, you know, if you're scared, I think the end of the story is Dune obviously is inspired a lot, whatever. But, you know, don't be scared to say in the science fiction crowd that you did not enjoy the book because uh, neither did we. So you have some friends here. (laughs) For sure. All right. Well, this was a fun one. Great. Great talking to everybody. And uh, keep reading. We'll see you next time. And we'll see you at the theater for Dune. Hopefully it's good. Yeah. All right. Later. Au revoir.